Hello, and welcome to the Anchor Discipleship Podcast, a ministry of Rock Harbor Church. We want to help guide and grow you in your walk with the Lord by providing an in-depth study of God's Word with this lesson. So please grab your Bibles and let's set a course for spiritual maturity. Here's Pastor Brandon with this week's lesson. I think we did the 144,000, right, last time? So we're on C, the trumpet judgments, yeah? Okay. So I think it's page uh, 222 in your book. If you want to follow along in your book and in your Bible, we're going to be in Revelation 8, 1 through 6. And uh, it gets pretty pretty hardcore right now in the passages we're going to look at. So hold on to your seats. Footsteps of Messiah, page 20, 222, the trumpet judgments. And when he opened the first, opened the seventh seal, so the seals are going to kick this off, right? This, you have this, the seven seals scroll that Christ is opening. There followed a silence in heaven for the space of a half an hour. So let's talk a little bit about that. Notice there is a time element in heaven. Time is existing in heaven. It may be time without end, but time does exist because time is created for creatures like us and angels. We have to have a time of passage of events. So, are people in heaven currently right now experiencing time? Yes. Maybe not at the degree that we are, but it says for a half hour in heaven, everyone was silent. So there's a, a, a lapse of time. You have to have it to have a series of events. So, so it, I want you to think of heaven not so much as a static place, but a very dynamic place. It eventually moves locations. And so, uh, so this is going on. And the reason for the half hour of silence is for what is about to come upon the earth. So the sealed judgments were bad, but now it's going to get really, really bad. It gets worse. And I saw the seven angels that stand before God. Maybe these are archangels, we're not sure. But they're very powerful angels, and they're because they're in the presence of God, they're very important angels. And there were given unto them seven trumpets. And another angel came and stood over the altar. Remember, the altar, there is an altar in heaven, much like the tabernacle that Moses made. Moses saw the pattern in heaven, and when the tabernacle he made, is a replica of the real tabernacle in heaven. So that's why you see an altar there, um, having a golden censer. And the golden censer was used by the high priest to take the coals off the altar and put it in the altar of burning incense. They would put the, the burning coals there and then drop the mixture of frankincense and the, the, the... There were several things in the incense, but one of them was frankincense. And they would drop it over the hot coals, and then the smoke would go and arise, and it would go over the tabernacle, as you remember, and it would go into the Holy of Holies. And that symbolized the prayers of the saints, and the, that the, the prayers of the saints were the fragrant smell, much like of frankincense. That's why if you, if you tried to burn frankincense outside of that, it was forbidden, because that smell was only associated to the prayers of the saints going before God. It was very, very uh, important that that be maintained as holy. Very interesting, what did the wise men, the men, give Jesus when he was born? Frankincense, because it's associated to deity. So, you're going to see what happens here in this, this, 
this scene in heaven. And there was given unto him much incense. Okay, there's the incense of the, of the frankincense, actually. That he should add it unto the prayers of all the saints upon the golden altar, which was before the throne. So imagine Moses' tabernacle, but really in heaven, that he is going to take something from this incense, where the incense is burning. Now again, the incense is connected to prayers. So even in heaven, there is smoke coming from this altar of incense that represents the prayers of the saints. Not only of all time, but the prayers of the tribulation saints. And what do we say are the prayers of the tribulation saints? Revelation 6 showed you some of their prayers. I saw the souls under the altar who had been beheaded, and they cried out unto God, What? How long, O sovereign Lord, until you avenge our blood? So uh, they're under the altar. Here is the altar, and the prayers are coming up to God, and now God is going to answer the prayers of his saints. Of how long until you avenge our blood? So you're going to see this whole scene. And the smoke of the incense with the prayers of the saints went up before God out of the angel's hand. And the angel took the censer and he filled it with the fire of the altar. So imagine the altar, uh, the burning altar or even the altar of incense. And then he, what does he do? He cast the burning coals. He cast it upon the earth. And there followed thunders and voices and lightnings and an earthquake. And the seven angels that had the seven trumpets prepared themselves to sound. And so the idea that the prayers are going to be now finally answered by God. He hears them, he's heard them, and now it's time to enact them. And so this censer is picking up the coals, the burning coals from the altar, and he's going to cast it to the earth to show this is now the judgment and the answer to your prayer, and here's where the judgments are going to go. And so now you get into the first trumpet, Revelation 8-7. And the first sounded, and there followed hail and fire mingled with blood, and they were cast upon the earth, and the thir a third part of the earth was burnt up. You always see thirds here in this part of the book of Revelation. When you see thirds, it means judgment. Third part of the earth was burned up, and a third part of the trees was burned up, and all the green grass was burnt up. So let's talk a little bit about this supernatural phenomenon. It is hail, but there's something else associated with the hail. It's fire, yet it's mingled with blood. Now, this should hearken back your memory to Exodus. Exodus chapter 9. Now, the hail and fire came upon Egypt with Moses directing that, remember that? But it wasn't with blood. This time it's with blood. Okay. So here's my question, I guess, to you. Is this simply a natural phenomenon that could be explained away, like they do with Moses' uh, miracles? I want you to think about that. The History Channel, National Geographic, they'll have some numbskull up there uh, who says, I can explain all of Moses' miracles by natural phenomenon. Have you seen that guy? He thinks he's smart. 
But by pressing themselves wise, he becomes a fool. Because the supernatural elements, he doesn't take all into account. Okay, so they think, okay, well, maybe it's just meteorites hitting the ground. And it's causing fire among the Egyptians and it's burning their houses because it's hitting their, their fires and stuff like that. No, no, no. It says it's hail and fire together. Not that the hail caused the fire, which that's what those guys do, but it's the hail has fire with it. What is hail? Ice. The two don't go together. It's an oxymoron. It's like saying flaming snowballs are coming out of the sky. But yet the flaming snowballs have blood in them. What's going on here? God is making absolutely sure to the earth dwellers that this is coming from me and not a natural phenomenon of just hail coming down. Because you guys will not be able to explain how fire and ice go together and how it's mixed with blood. Some commentators say that. That their, their blood is mixed in with that. And that, po- that could be a good translation. Or it just could be just simply God manufacturing blood like he did with the Nile and he created blood to be interwoven with it. But sometimes they say it is the blood of the saints. That's one interpretation. So you see, when you, when you look even at Egypt, you back, back to Moses' miracles, you can't explain them naturally. Because there's a supernatural element to it. It is hail and fire together, which we know physically, the laws of physics doesn't allow that to happen. Because the, the, the fire could not keep going on a piece of ice. But yet it's here. And yet it has a liquid in it, and it's blood. Supernatural. So that's the first thing. And it kills a third of a lot of these things, the earth and and things like that. When you see thirds, thirds always are a symbol of judgment. Okay, but it's always also a symbol of grace. How so? Where's the grace in this? Two-thirds are not. Did you see that? See, when people look at the book of Revelation, they say, oh, it's all judgment. No, it's not. Only a third of the earth is hit. Two-thirds are not. And why does God do the two-thirds? To give people a chance to come to repent. So even as his judgment, he's giving people grace. It's amazing. It's really a lot of, you'll see a lot of grace in this. Okay, next one, second trumpet. And the second angel sounded in it, and, and as it were, a great mountain burning with fire. So this is, like a rock or something that's on fire, okay? That's not a literal mountain, but it, it's a giant piece of, of uh, some type of earth, okay? Was cast into the sea. And a third part of the sea became blood, just like it happened in Moses' day. The sea that it's referring to here is the Mediterranean. So we know exactly what will be struck. It'll be the Mediterranean Sea. Anytime you see the word sea, it's always referring to the Mediterranean. So it hits the Mediterranean. It, the sea, the Mediterranean turns into blood, like the Nile did, and there died a third part of the creatures which were in the sea, even they that had life. And a third part of the ships was destroyed. So let's talk about this. What do you think this possibly could be, a great mountain that comes out of the sky, burning in fire, and hits the Mediterranean? 
The easiest explanation is a meteorite. The very thing that these people on, on, on the Science Channel and stuff talk about, a meteorite hitting our planet, will happen eventually. I don't know how big the meteorite is, but yet this thing will strike the Mediterranean. So we know exactly where it'll strike. It's not going to strike in Africa or North America. It strikes the Mediterranean Sea. And then the sea turns to blood after it's struck. So, so again, where is the Roman Empire located? Where is the revived Roman Empire located? Remember, what did Rome control? All of Europe, uh, Medi uh, the Middle East, and then North Africa. So the waters that are right in the heart of the revived Roman Empire are struck and turned to blood. It's very much the case that God struck the major water system of Egypt to show Pharaoh, you don't have control over the Nile, I do. And he's showing the revived Roman Empire and the Antichrist, I have control of the water systems, not you. And again, there's the where's the grace? A third. A third, not two-thirds, a third. And a third of the ships, how could the ships be destroyed? What do you think happens when a major meteorite hits the water? What would it cause? Tidal waves, uh, all, uh, tsunamis, things like that. So a third of the ships that go through the Mediterranean will be destroyed because of this. And that you could easily see how that could happen. Okay, so that's a, a meteorite hits. What's the third trump? Let's go to the next page. And this will take a little uh, deducing, and I'll walk you through this a little bit. A third angel sounded, and there fell, that's a key phrase, something has fallen from heaven. Something has fallen from heaven, a great star. Stars in the Bible refer to angels. Burning as a torch. Okay, some angels look like, like seraphs, they burn, right? They look like flames of fire. And it fell upon the third part of the rivers and upon the fountains of the waters. And the name of the star is Wormwood, or in Greek, it's Absinthos. Or in, in English, we would say Absinthe. Absinthe. If you've ever looked and studied what happened to the Parisians, especially among the artists, they got into drinking absinthe, big time. And it got banned in the U.S. I don't know if it's still banned to bring into the U.S. absinthe. But it is, it is an alcohol made from botanicals that is extremely strong. But this alcohol has a hallucinogenic effect on people. And so guys who are in the, 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 the art, art, artesian movement in Paris... Um, got into drinking this stuff, and there's a w certain way of drinking it. It's like doing a drug. Um, but absinthe, you can look it up on and Google it, but is it? Yeah. Just for that. And there's a special way to drink it. You have to burn uh, uh, sugar over it. It lights on fire, and there's a, a green flame that comes from it. It is very potent alcohol to where it causes hallucinogens and, and, and to you to have all kinds of weird sensory things. It's like doing a drug. Well, that's the Greek word. That's the name of this star. 
he's named after this uh, alcoholic drink, which basically, it's so high in alcoholic contact, you have to mix it with water or it turns into poison. It's that high in alcohol. It, it's just, it's very poisonous. Um, so anyway, the term we get is wormwood, but in Greek it's absinthos, or absinthe is in English. Okay, so, so let's unpack this a little bit. This star that fell is able to turn all these waters into absinthe. Okay, so follow me. What kind of angels fall from heaven? Demons. So there's your clue what John's trying to tell you. That this is a fallen angel. And angels are referred to in the book of Revelation as stars. How do I know that? Well, it's simple. You go to Revelation chapter 1 and John will unpack what the word stars mean. I'll read this for you so you can kind of understand where I'm coming from so you understand the passage. This is the vision of John seeing Christ. Remember that? In chapter 1 of Revelation, he sees the resurrected Christ, the glorified Christ. I turned to see the voice that spoke to me, having turned, and I saw seven golden lampstands. And in the midst of the seven lampstands, one like the Son of Man, clothed with a garment down to his feet, girded about with his chest with a golden band. His hair, head and hair were white like wool, as white as snow, and his eyes were a flame of fire. His feet were like fine brass, as refined in a furnace, and his voice was the sound of many waters. He had in his right hand seven stars. And out of his mouth went a sharp two-edged sword, and his countenance was like that of the sun shining in strength. And when he saw, I saw him, I fell at his feet as dead, but he laid his, hand, his right hand on me, saying to me, Do not be afraid, I am the first and the last. Okay. So the picture he sees is Christ with seven stars in his hand. Stars. Well, he then, he then unpacks this. In verse 20 he says, The mystery of the seven stars which you saw in my right hand and the seven golden lampstands. The seven stars are the angels of the seven churches. And the seven lampstands which you saw are the seven churches. So right in Revelation 1, he already impacts that anytime I refer to stars, I am referring to angels. So now we go back to this passage. I, thought, I saw a third angel, that angel sounds the trumpet, and then a demon comes, and that demon's name is what? Wormwood, or a bit, Absinoth. That's his name. So what you're going to see in the book of Revelation, you'll see the naming of demons, you'll see their names, and you'll see that God will use demons to do his bidding. So this demon is allowed to touch the waters and turn them into this alcoholic, delusional, hallucinogenic type of drink that if you drink this, you absolutely go crazy. It poisons you to where you start hallucinating. So like the, the drink, that, that alcohol, that's the big deal about it. They're getting high off of it. The Parisians were getting high off of it and having all these, these hallucinogens uh, that, that came from it, from at the absinthe. So this is a scary, scary type of judgment. 
that if you drink that water, you'll die because they'll probably die because they go crazy. So it's, it's crazy water, basically. This demon has the ability to turn the water to, to create a hallucinogen with people who drink it. Could you imagine people turning into zombies? Just going crazy from drinking the water and killing them as well? Horrible. Let's go to the fourth judge trumpet. And the fourth angel sounded, and a third of the sun was smitten, and a third part of the moon, and a third of the part of the stars, that the third part of them should be darkened. Now, when you see stars in this context, referring to atmospheric stars, should be darkened, and the day should not shine for a third part of it, and the night in the like manner. So basically, a third of natural light that comes from stars or moon or sun is darkened and blackened. And that affects the entire planet. So if you have that light shut down, at least a third of the sun, guess what happens to the temperature of our planet? He will cool off the earth pretty rapidly if you cut off a third of the light that we get from our sun. We'll freeze to death. Now this is interesting because in this judgment, the earth is going to freeze. So people who are living in, especially in northern climates, you're dead. You're going to freeze to death. Now, interesting enough, when you get to the other judgments later on, the bowl judgment, it heats up. And it scorches men. You go from cold, then to hot. So you might think you're safe by the equator when the cold snap happens, but when the vials are uh, done, you will burn up to death at the equator. Wow. This continuing to show, man, you do not have control over your planet. I do. God is saying. Yikes. And then, so here's some grace, and here's some mercy. The prelude to the woe judgments. And, then, and, and you, I want you to see, this is again an act of grace. Revelation 8, 13. And I saw and I heard an eagle, or basically this is an eagle angel. So probably this is a seraph. Remember, there's a there's seraphim around the throne. One looks like an ox, one looks like an angel, one looks like a man, one looks like a uh, lion, right? So this is a seraph flying in mid-heaven, so basically around the globe, with a great voice, and this is what he says, Whoa, whoa, whoa. Those are the, tri- the, the thrice woes, the oives in Hebrew. For them that dwell on the earth, that term is a technical term, earth dwellers, earth dwellers. That means unbelievers, okay? Because this is happening on the earth. By reason of the other voices of the trumpet of the three angels who are yet to sound. So basically through this angel, God is saying, wake up, let's try to escape this, get saved. I'm warning you, I'm trying to help you, here's grace. So you can see God infusing this. Because what is about to happen will be beyond your imagination. What I am about to unleash, you will never imagine could possibly happen to you people. You want to see what he does? Read the next passage. The fifth trumpet. The fifth angel sounded, and I saw a star from heaven fallen onto the earth. A star from heaven fallen, what's that? It's a demon. And there was given him to the key... Notice it's to him, so obviously it's a uh, demon. The key of the pit of the abuso, the abyss. Where is the abuso? In the center of the earth. Who is in the abuso? Demons. 
temporarily confined demons who have been sent to the pit. And he opened the pit of the abyss, and there went up a smoke out of the pit, as smoke of a great furnace, and the sun and the air were darkened by the reason of the smoke of the pit. Where's the pit in the center of the earth? That's why the smoke comes up out of the earth. You see the, the picture there? And power was given to them, as the scorpions of the earth have power. And it was said unto them that they should not hurt the grass of the earth, neither any green thing, neither any tree, but only such men as have not the seal of God on their foreheads. Do you know what the seal of God looks like? Interesting. You go back in the Old Testament, and the seal of God, he talks about it in Ezekiel, and he says, Ezekiel put the seal of God, and he used a towel in Hebrew. A towel. If you look at a towel, it's like a, a sideways T. Did you get the picture? So when Ezekiel was told to number the people who believe in the prophecy, he says, mark them with the seal of God. And he put a towel on them. The seal of God is a towel. It's a cross. So when you see this in Revelation, John's picking up on what Ezekiel said, and the same thing will be done in the spiritual realm. Those who are mine have the seal of my insignia on them, which is a towel and is a cross. Uh, so they have a cross here, but the towel, is a, it's, it goes sideways, but it's definitely a cross. That's the seal of God on their foreheads. Okay, So they can't touch anyone who has the towel, anyone who has the cross on their forehead. That, those belong to God, right? And it was given unto them that they should not kill them, but that they should be tormented five months. So basically 150 days. The months here are 30-day months. And their torment was as the tor torment of a scorpion when it strikes a man. And in those days men shall seek death and shall in no wise find it. And they shall desire to die, and death flees from them. So they will want to commit suicide, but God will prevent them from committing suicide. And the shapes of the locusts, now you get a picture of what these demons look like that came out of the pit. The shapes of the locusts were like that unto horses prepared for war. And upon their heads, as it were, crowns like unto gold. And their faces were as a men's face, or men's faces. And they had hair as the hair of a woman, and their teeth were as the teeth of lions. And they had breastplates, and as it were, breastplates of iron, kind of like a dragon breastplate, okay? And the sound of their wings was as sound of chariots, of many horses rushing to war. And they have tails like unto scorpions and stings. And in their tails is their power to hurt men five months, 150 days. They have over them as king the angel of the abyss. So there's their leader. Here's their leader. His name in Hebrew is Abaddon. And in Greek tongue, he had the name Apollyon. Apollyon and, and, and Abaddon mean destruction. The first woe is past. Behold, there come yet two woes, yet two woes hereafter. So the idea here is the demonic leader of this, these locust types of demons He's a low-ranking angel under Satan, but he but he's above other ones, and his name is Apollyon, or ba Abad, destruction. And he's their leader. And so what their commission is, is that once they're released, they can touch anybody that's not a believer. And they can't kill them, but they can sting them. 
and hurt them for five months. Hurt them so bad that the person will cry out to die. He'll try to commit suicide. They'll try to slice their wrist. They'll try to put a gun to their head, but God will not allow them. He makes them suffer for five months. Now, if you look at the, the picture of these demons, this is why God says, I'm trying to warn you. This is why I sent an angel. Because what is about to happen is you're about to be attacked by demons. And you will see them. And this is what they'll look like. So make no mistake, I want to tell you what they look like. They have a horse's body, but they have, the tail of that horse is a scorpion tail. They have breastplates like a dragon or a dinosaur on the front of them. They have a man's face, but they have hair like a woman, which means their hair is long, and yet they have diadems, not diadems, but stephanuses, which means they have power. And that tail can sting you. And they have wings on their back, by the way. And these demons will be visible to the inhabitants of the earth. Not yet. They haven't taken the mark yet. We're right, we're before the midpoint. This is in the first part of the tribulation. So there's still an opportunity. In Revelation 14, which is after the midpoint, that's when those who receive the mark are doomed at that point. But the Antichrist has not even risen to that point where he's in charge of the entire planet. The whore of Babylon is. And the, the one world government is still in effect. He's there, but he's not doing his work as the Antichrist, so to speak. So, the point of this, the 150 days is to wake them up, because the grace in that is that it ends. And at the end of that, we're going to see where these people are after they've been tormented by demons. And you'll see at the end how they react to it. But it is grace. It is mer- it's just like he went to Pharaoh. Remember, he just kept going to Pharaoh. Well, let my people go. Send them a plague, and Pharaoh would sometimes say, yeah, I, I repent, I, 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 I can't do this. And then what, what would Pharaoh do? He would go back on it. And that's what I think is happening here, is he's doing the same thing. Come on, come on, I'll give you grace and mercy. Possibly, yeah, I don't know. I just know this, they're going to be tormented. It doesn't say they're, they're, they, they get saved. It doesn't say a massive revival comes from that. It just, at the end of it, I know how they react. It tells you how they react to this. They continue to worship demons. It doesn't wake them up. But yet it is an act of grace on their part. Because, okay, how does God get to get somebody's attention? Usually he puts them flat on their back. And when you're flat on your back, you have only one way to look up. And only God's mercy. But these people will be put flat on their back and will not. They will actually blaspheme God. They will blame God for it. But yeah, and but nonetheless, the opportunity is there. And every time he does this, they get worse. But what did Pharaoh do? He got worse. Every time God gave grace and a reprieve to Pharaoh, Moses would, would call off the thing, would call off the plague, Okay, you going to get your act right? Yeah, yeah, I'll let you go. And then, boom, he would turn on it. The picture of Pharaoh is also a picture of the people in the tribulation of how they're reacting to the judgments. There's grace and mercy all through Egypt in God trying to get Pharaoh's attention. And the Egyptians. And by the way, some Egyptians believed, and they, they came out with Moses, by the way. If you watch the Exodus in, in the Scripture, 
there's a mixed multitude actually that came with him, not just Jews. It means some Egyptians got it. So yeah, I think ones and twosies might be coming, but not a massive revival. But let me ask you this question. Why give the description exactly what these demons look like? This is the, one of the first times in Scripture that you get to see what demons look like. This particular class of demons. Why do this? It's, it's a combination. The reason why it's like a locust is because of the, the multitude of them. So picture the image of a horse, the size of a horse. That's with wings, with a scorpion tail, but it has a man's face. That and a lot and lion's teeth, not men's teeth, but coming out of its mouth are lion's teeth. Now this is not symbolism. This is literal. This is what they look like. Now that, that shouldn't shock you because when we even see good angels around the throne, they're made up of a combination of animals, right? They're made of a combination. Some of them have, uh, in fact, cherubim have four faces. An ox, a lion, eagle, and a man's face. And then seraphs actually have six wings. One looks like an, a, a, a man or an angel, a lion. So there's, there's what you see in the angelic world. Before animals were created, their body types were already created on the angels. So I want you to think about that. Most people, it's the cart before the horse. They think animals created, and then the angels look like animals. No, no, no. The animals look like angels. Does that make sense? Yes. And the blackout is caused by the opening of the pit from the earth. The, the earth dwellers will. The earth dwellers will. So that's my question before I got so rudely derailed. Uh... <laughs> Why show them, show us, tell us this is what they look like and they're coming from me? It's more obvious than you think. What will a pagan think if they see these things? Alien, I heard it. Aliens. If you don't believe in the supernatural, if you don't believe in the Bible, which is our culture, how would you describe things like this that they can't deny are flying around? These are Martians. These are aliens. And they look like us. And they have our faces, but they're, they're grotesque. We are under attack. We have alien invasion. I actually could teach the book of Revelation from a pagan standpoint that this is they're going to treat this as an alien invasion. They are already set up for it. What are all the movies saying? E.T. and there's life out there. Well, finally, supernatural life will manifest itself and it will look like that. And God is saying through his word, make no mistake, these are demons. So here's the connection I want you to make. And we're going to take a break, but we're going to, we're going to make this connection. There is a connection with the UFO phenomenon and the flying saucer phenomenon, yeah, there's a lot of nut jobs that are putting uh, tin foil in their hats and yada, yada, yada. But it's the 10% to the 5% that there's something else going on there. And here's, here's what happens. There are legitimate things people see. They call them UFOs, but you guess what they are. Guess what they are. It's demonic. And the connection is that when these people say they were alien abducted or they saw something, 
Every one of them has been involved in the occult to some extent. And therefore, they start having these things happen to them. It is not them going onto a Martian ship. It's them going into the supernatural realm and then the demons exposing themselves to them as quote-unquote aliens. This connection, I believe it or not, this connection with the book of Revelation, how are people going to explain the supernatural phenomenon, not only of the seeing demonics, but the supernatural things that are hitting the planet, they're totally going to say, we're under alien invasion. We need somebody to save us. And who could you think that could be? George Soros is right. All right, we're going to come back, take a five-minute break, get your coffee and stuff, and we'll, we'll talk a little bit more about that. Thanks for joining us for another episode of The Anchor Discipleship. We hope that this message is a blessing to you and helps you grow towards a more mature understanding of God's Word. Rock Harbor Church has two other podcasts. The first is called The Anchor Sunday Sermons, and is filled with pastors' Sunday messages. And the second is the Anchor Bible Study. It's filled with past and continuing Bible studies preached during our Wednesday evening services. If you enjoy this message and would like to hear them, please check the description of this episode or search your favorite podcast streaming services. Rock Harbor Church also has a print-to-order merchandise store. You can shop for Rock Harbor merch at rockharborchurch.store. Support for all three of our podcasts comes from your generous gifts and donations. For more information about our ministry, we invite you to check out our website, rockharborchurch.net. Keep looking up for our redemption dolls near. God bless.